0: Right, well, welcome to No Limits Church. I'm so glad you guys are here with us today. We're continuing our series called Different. We're actually in part nine of this series, and it's been so good. I'm excited to get back into it. Um, if you're joining us online, I want to say hey to you. Thanks for being with us. It's great to hear the Word of God, even if it's over the internet. But if you ever have a chance to join us here in person, I highly encourage you to do so because this is the place to be. Amen. Y'all, thanks for being here. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Kate, and I'm the lead pastor here at No Limits alongside my wife Beth. And here at No Limits, we're on a mission to make a difference, and we do that by helping people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. Amen. So let's get into this series, part nine of this series. It's basically about following Jesus, and that's actually the best way that I can help you know God. I'll show you what I mean in the core scripture for this series, which is found in John chapter 14, verse nine. Jesus said this. He said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. So this is one of many scriptures where we find out that God is revealed through Jesus. So if we want to get to know God, then we got to get to know Jesus. And thankfully, there are four entire books of the Bible dedicated to the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And through this series, we're working through the book of John. And what we found out is that the way of Jesus is quite different, isn't it? So go ahead and look at somebody next to you and say, you know, Cade's right. You're quite different. You're quite different. (laughs) always you guys always laugh at that because you know it's true so we're in part nine of this series but we've only made it to chapter six in the book of john and i'm a no fluff get to the point type of guy so this series has honestly been a little bit out of my comfort zone (laughs) to keep it going but at the same time i've really been enjoying this slow pace through the book of John. Um, we're, when preparing for these messages, I actually hang out in the same one to two chapters in the book of John the entire week. I wake up in the morning and I read them in different translations. I read them out loud, and every time that I read the same chapter that I read yesterday, I get something new out of it. Come on, somebody, the word of God really is living and it's breathing, isn't it? It's the living word of God. So let's head to John chapter 6. We're about to witness one of the most amazing miracles. But you may remember two weeks ago uh, when we were in John chapter 5, Jesus had been in a debacle with the religious people, right? They didn't like that he healed a man on the Sabbath. How dare he? They didn't like that he called himself the Son of God. And Jesus spent quite some time after that explaining to them that uh, he really was one with God. Him and God were the same, and um, Jesus only did what God told him to do. That's what he was trying to explain. I'm not here on my assignment. I'm here on God's assignment, so you all better listen up. I'm not sure that they listened though. But after this, Jesus went into the wilderness to unplug for a bit. Because how many of you know, after you have a debacle with the religious people, you need some alone time? <laughs> but as he went into the wilderness, people followed him into the wilderness. Like a lot of people followed him into the wilderness. We're talking about thousands of people followed him into the wilderness. And of course, Jesus was moved with compassion. So he postponed his alone time so that he could teach them and so that he could heal them. How many of y'all would postpone your alone time to talk to the thousands I would struggle with it, to be quite honest with you. (laughs) So thousands of people were out in the wilderness. Jesus realized that these people were probably starting to get a little bit hangry. Anybody have a wife that gets hangry? (laughs) You're going to go ahead and admit to it. All right, so the people were getting hangry, but what do you do when Chick-fil-A is too far away? (laughs) Well, here's what Jesus does first. He saw the huge crowd of people coming to look for him, and he turned to Philip one of his disciples, and he said, hey, Philip, where can we buy buy bread to feed all these people? Can you imagine being Philip? Like you're looking out, 5,000 men, plus women and children. There's more than 5,000 people there. And he asks them to go get all the people bread. I mean, what kind of question is that? I mean, I can see it now. We've got to roll up to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru now, right? Yeah, I need 5,000 12-count meals. And you all know what their response would be? My pleasure. I'll get that to you in just a few days, right? Your total is going to be $46,800. We find out in the next verse that Jesus didn't expect Philip to have the answer because Jesus already had a plan, but I think that Jesus asked this question for fun. I think that Jesus liked to have a little bit of fun with the disciples. He asked this question for the sheer entertainment of Philip's response, which here it is. Philip answered, even if we worked for months, we couldn't have enough money to feed these people, right? And there's really a hidden gem in this part of the story, and it's this. Jesus will point out an impossible situation to move us towards faith. It seems really cruel, but it's actually really helpful. I mean, how many of you hit up WebMD whenever you're sick instead of going to Jesus first? Anybody want to admit to that? And, you know, that's exactly why whenever you do that, you find out, regardless of what you're struggling with, that you're going to die. I think that God set up WebMD that way so it pushes you towards an impossible situation and then you've got to trust God because I'm going to die, right? Good stuff. Only when we come to the end of ourselves, only when when we become aware that we're completely incapable of solving the situation do we turn to God. So Jesus draws attention to the impossible, but it's not to discourage us. It's actually to get us ready for a miracle. So next in the story, another one of the disciples speaks up, and he says, well, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that among this huge crowd? And really, this brings clarity to the type of attitude we're supposed to have about impossible situations. Like, we still have a responsibility to figure out what we can do. It may be small, it may be insignificant, but you have a part to play in this. You do the small thing, you let God work the miracle. Amen? But you have to take action. You can't just sit there and be lazy. you got to look around and say, what can I do towards this? In this story, they had five loaves and two fish. Why even mention that? Great. Everybody gets a crumb, right? (laughs) Wonderful. How in the world is Jesus going to make this work? Well, here's the instruction that he gives next. He says, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Once again, there's significance here. Normally, this is a scripture that we would just read over to get to the good stuff, right? What, what's all these details in here? But he put the details in there for a reason. Like, why does it mention that Jesus had everybody sit down? Why does it mention that there was much grass, that it was a luscious, green pasture that they were sitting on? Well, I think Psalm 23 has the answer for us The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside the still waters. And it goes on to say, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You're brought in your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Whew, this is all good stuff, isn't it? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So why did Jesus have him sit? In the luscious green grass. He was demonstrating that He is our shepherd. He wants us to rest while we look to Him for provision and protection. So Jesus brought attention to the impossible. And then He asked them what they could do, even though it was small. And then He asked them to sit down and rest in Him. This miracle is all about rest and provision. Rest and provision. Jesus is showing us that we don't have to do this on our own. We don't have to strive and hustle and wear ourselves out. Nope, he wants us to be seated with him, just like it says in Ephesians. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Woo! That's a good scripture, and it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Seated. So here's what we've learned so far. To follow Jesus, I must rest in his provision. This really goes against our American culture. We celebrate people who work long hours. We honor those who hustle. We think it's great to be busy. How are you, brother? Busy? Oh, great. It's good to be busy. But none of this aligns with the way of Jesus. When all we do is worry about the next house, the next car, the next raise, the next paycheck, or where the next meal is going to come from, do we ever hear God in all that frenzy, in all that motion? This would be like going on a hike with my wife. And and I take off running because I'm so obsessed with getting to the end of the trail. But she's walking, she's enjoying her surroundings, listening to the birds. And at first, like she starts to talk to me while I'm running off. And at first I can hear her, but I can't understand her. It doesn't take long before I'm too far ahead of her. And I can't hear a word that she's saying. She's just back there talking to herself. Well, this is most of us with God. God's pace is walking. Take a look. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God's on a walk. Most of us are running. Occasionally, we catch a glimpse of him when we're lapping him on the trail, right? <laughs> Just long enough, we we'll hear him to say, hey, son, daughter, will you rest in me? Nope, got to go, Jesus, got to go, in a hurry. And there's a quote out there that relates to what we're talking about. You probably heard this before. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Anybody heard that one? And it seems right, seems accurate, but it's actually a cop-out. The devil doesn't make you do anything. Sure, he can tempt you. But get, get this, you are the one <laughs> who decides to be busy. You are in control of your time, only you. So if you need to change your pace, I want you to go home. Look yourself in the mirror and say, boy, you got a problem. You need to slow down your pace. And if you're looking for a place to start, I recommend implementing one full day of rest Every week. The Bible calls this Sabbath. Or if you want to go back to the original language, Shabbat. Our girls actually wake up on our Sabbath and they say, today's Shabbat. I'm like, cool. They know another language. And Beth and I started practicing Sabbath at the beginning of last year. And we still do it today. We don't look at our phones. We, we don't have a schedule or an agenda. We just wake up and we relax and we go with the flow. And it's a beautiful day. And our Sabbath is on Monday. Um, traditionally, Sabbath is on Saturday. Some people get hung up on the day that it's supposed to be. If if that's you, just have it on Saturday. That's fine. Just don't fuss at me for having it on Monday, because that's when I'm having mine. But the first few weeks, uh, the people that I work with, they would call me on my Sabbath, which is Monday. But I don't look at my phone on the Sabbath, so I didn't see that they called until the next day. And I was like, "Oh, so and so called." I'd call them back and be like, "Hey, sorry for the delay. Yesterday was my Sabbath. I don't look at my phone on the Sabbath." And at first, people are like, "What?" You're going to take an entire day every week and you're not even going to look at your phone. And I'm like, yeah, like you should try it. (laughs) Like it is so good. It is so awesome. So it took some time and some explaining, but now most everybody respects the fact that I'm going to have Sabbath on Monday, whether you like it or not. That's just how it's going to go. And you know how many times this has ruined a work project that I waited until the next day to respond? We've been doing this over a year. You know how many times it's ruined a work project? Never. Turns out what feels like an emergency rarely is. And you think you're so important that you gotta be available all the time? Well, I'm about to show you. Jesus wasn't even that important. All right. Hate to burst your bubble. So here we are, we're in a culture, we don't understand Sabbath, and it's really easy to see the results of it. We're exhausted, we're overworked, we're spiritually malnourished, our families are falling apart. We're slaves really to this unsustainable rhythm of success. More. Achievement. God knew we'd struggle with this, so He gave us a gift. Shabbat. Shabbat. So don't turn this in, just don't turn this into the religious nonsense that we read about last week, right? where they were fussing at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. If you're using Sabbath as a reason not to do good things, I think you got the wrong idea about Sabbath. Just a heads up on that. Sabbath is a day to say no to work. It's a day to say no to achievement. Forget about the pile of tasks and emails and text messages that you're going to face tomorrow and spend one day every week completely unplugged from the normal daily rhythms of life and enjoy your family. That is is Sabbath. What would it do for your family? And I did an entire message on Sabbath last year during our Choose Joy series, if you all remember that. You can find it on our website if you're interested. So Jesus had the people rest in the grass so that he could demonstrate his divine provision. The food that they had available wasn't even close to enough. So... That didn't bother Jesus at all, though. He's like, okay, great. Thanks for bringing those five loaves of two fish. He gave thanks to God. Then he gave to the disciples. They distributed the food to the people. Everybody ate as much as they wanted to, and there were even leftovers at the end of it. Quite an amazing miracle. But so many of us are living in our own provision. We're working hard, and we're struggling because it's never enough. You get a raise, but it seems not to make a difference because your expenses get a raise too. Anybody? Just me? What if we rested in God's provision? What if, what if we brought before God the small and insignificant things that we can do and we asked him to multiply it? It really doesn't matter what kind of job that you have. The truth is, in the light of eternity, it's small and it's insignificant. And I'm not saying that to discourage you. you say, okay, this is not a pep talk. You're not helping me. But I'm, pu- I'm pointing out that we are all up against an impossible situation. And we got to realize that. It's not until we realize that we can't do this on our own that we turn to God. And we ask him for the miracle. Now, the next story in the book of John, y'all, this is the very next story. It's going to blow your mind, how it ties this all together. Did you know that everything kind of works together as you continue reading through? They're not disconnected stories. They're all connected. It's so beautiful. And I'm just about to describe several of you in the room with this story. So get ready for a few arrows to be flying out of my mouth. Put on your shield. All right. So they fed the 5,000. The miracle was so incredible that they decided to make Jesus king it wasn't time for Jesus to be king yet, so Jesus finally snuck away to get his alone time. Man, I'm glad that he did that. He needed it, right? And the disciples, they waited for Jesus until dark. Jesus never came back, so they got in their boat, and they left him behind. Isn't this crazy? Like, they were in such a hurry to get to their next destination that they left behind the guy that they were following. That's just ridiculous. And we're doing the same thing. There goes a the helicopter, So while they were on the sea, a great wind started blowing and the waves were fighting against them. So there they are, they're rowing and they're struggling and they're fighting the wind and they're fighting the waves and they're not getting anywhere. Did I describe anybody yet? Am I telling anybody a story? Like, are you putting forth a bunch of effort day in and day out? And you're just not getting anywhere, not getting anywhere. And when the disciples had made it about halfway to their destination, they saw Jesus walking on the water, heading towards them, and here's what happened next. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately, somebody say immediately. Immediately. Ooh, that word stuck out to me whenever I read this. The boat was at the land where they were going. In other words, they traveled about three to four miles on boat immediately. You mean to tell me that as soon as they invited Jesus into the boat, they just all of a sudden got there to where they were trying to go? They struggled to get to the halfway point on their own, and then Jesus showed up, and immediately they were there? Yes, that's what it looks like when you rest in his provision. That's what it looks like when you invite him into your boat, and you say, come on, Jesus. I need your help on this. I'm (laughs) tired of doing it myself. When you stop running, and instead you walk, Side by side with him, when you say no to nonstop hustle every day, seven days a week, and you say, I'm resting for one day each week, and I don't care who doesn't like it because I'm walking with Jesus. Let me put it to you another way to follow Jesus, I must move at his pace. Just in case you're still not getting this, Jesus is about to go vulgar. He really is. He's about to say something very distasteful. It even caused many of his followers of the day to turn away. They stopped following him. But I think you guys can handle it, so we're going to go there. So we're now at the day after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus and his disciples had made it across the sea, and guess what? All those thousands of people got into boats, and they followed him across the sea. I mean, I'm starting to feel sorry for Jesus at this point. Can you imagine thousands of people following you wherever you went? I'd be like, God, leave me alone. What is this about? But once again, they track him down. Last time he had fed him, right? Gave him a free meal. All right, Jesus. Woo! They track him down. They find him. What's going to happen next? He's going to work another amazing miracle. Nope. He calls him out. He gets on to him because their motivation is off. They're whack. They're messed up. Take a look at what he says. He says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. In other words, they were only following Jesus because of what he could do for them. This still happens today. There's people who come to church because they want to extract something out of the church. It's not that they want to be a part of the body of Christ. It's not that they want to come serve. They want to come get a free meal. They want to come get something from the church. And here is what Jesus has to say about that kind of attitude. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Jesus wants us to get to a place where we don't spend our energy striving and hustling to try to make things happen. Instead, we trust him for our basic necessities as we go about his kingdom, his kingdom work. In other words, you can spend your energy building your own kingdom, It's going to die when you die, hate to break it to you, or you can spend your energy building God's kingdom and it'll last forever. And here's another way that Jesus explains this to us in Matthew chapter six. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but you, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. You mean I don't have to worry about my basic needs? I can follow what God asks me to do, and he'll make sure that all the other stuff is taken care of? But notice there's a condition. There's lots of people out there who think that God's going to take care of them regardless. But the truth is, you have to seek the kingdom of God above all else, and what? Live righteously, and then you'll have everything that you need. Come on, somebody, this is a good life, isn't it? And yet we struggle with it. I mean, how how do we envision this kind of life? How does modern American Christianity envision this life? Quitting your job, sitting at home all day, trusting God to put food on your table? Or how about living a nomadic lifestyle where you just bum off everybody else for your basic needs? No, I'm sorry to break it to you, but this is not a license to be lazy. If we want to talk about laziness, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's what the Bible has to say about that. But here's what it means. To follow Jesus, I must seek God first. And I'm going to share my journey with you to help you understand. I like to work. I thrive off of accomplishment. Like if I didn't have a family, I'd work all day, every day. And I'd at least skip one meal a day to make sure that I could get more work done. That's the kind of life that I'd be living if I didn't have a family. And there's been so many times in my life where I was literally working that hard. And the problem was, the harder I worked, the more I had to do. The harder I worked, the more I had to do. I never got caught up. I was always behind. (laughs) On top of this, when you fill yourself with accomplishment, just like anything, drugs, you need a bigger hit. And so the accomplishment that used to fulfill me no longer did. So I needed more and I needed bigger accomplishments. It never ended. And I would cycle. Like there would be weeks where I felt like the greatest man on earth. Like, look at what I've done. Look at what I'm accomplishing. Just followed by two weeks later, I feel like I was on the verge of failure, like, this is all going to fall apart. What's going to happen? And then I would cycle in and out, in and now success, failure, success, failure, success, failure. And my wife appreciates that I work hard, but she doesn't appreciate overworking. What's the point of working hard for money that we can't even enjoy together because I'm always working, right? Thankfully, I found my way out, and when I, it's when I started paying attention to the way Jesus lived his life. I mean, this guy was never in a hurry. His best friend, Lazarus. They tell him that he's sick and that he's dying. You'd think Jesus would just run off to go heal him. Hurry, super fast, before he dies. Nope, Jesus just hangs out where he was. He waits for days. Lazarus dies. Of course, he goes and raises him from the dead, but you couldn't hurry Jesus for nothing. Lazarus is dying. I know, just let let him die. I'll be there in a minute. (laughs) Jesus took time for himself whenever he needed it. Like you'd think he'd be always on, always available for whoever would need him. And that what pastors are supposed to do? Nope. He often disappeared, Jesus, often disappeared, and the disciples couldn't even find him. Where's Jesus? We don't know. He went off to be alone with God. Jesus didn't worry about how much money was in the bank or how popular he was or where the next meal would come from because he knew that as long as he was about the Father's business, that his needs would be taken care of. He knew. He lived by faith. He didn't worry about it one bit. I discovered all this and I realized, I want to follow Jesus. Like if the most important guy to ever walk the earth could live from a place of rest, I can live from a place of rest. I found out I wasn't important as I thought I was. I didn't need to be always on, always available. Like, turns out when you don't answer your phone, you wait a couple hours, people end up figuring out their problems by themselves. It's really quite a miracle. I call them, hey, sorry I missed your call. Oh, it's okay, Kate, got it figured out. But yet I thought before that I had to figure it out for him, that I was the most important. I'm the pastor, so i got to be available always on. Nope. If Jesus didn't do it, I'm not doing it. And I started by implementing a hard stop to my work day. Like I stop work at 5 p.m., whether I'm done or not. Done. Even if it means I have to miss a deadline, I walk away. Because there's always more where that came from, and there's always tomorrow. And I worked hard today. I can stop at 5 And then I implemented Sabbath every Monday. I completely unplug from work. I don't check my email. I don't respond to texts, phone calls. I don't think about project deadlines. I don't think about any of that. I seriously wake up and work is not on my mind at all. But let me tell you, that takes some practice. I felt really anxious for the first two months whenever I started practicing Sabbath, if I'm honest with you, because I felt that there was somebody who texted me that needed me. But it only took a few weeks to figure out they didn't need me, and everything was okay. I was with the people who needed me, my family, right? Y'all, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm still working on this, but I'm taking steps towards the pace that Jesus wants for me to live my life. And most of the time I seek the kingdom of God and first, and I trust him to take care of my needs, but occasionally I get caught up in trying to take care of it all myself, and then I get frustrated, and then I get burned out, and suddenly I realize, ah, crap. I got off track again, and I get up the next morning, and I say, God, give me this day, my daily bread. I'm gonna walk at your pace so that I can hear from you. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across to us through these stories. He wants you to sit down in the luscious green grass and trust him with the things of life. And that's why he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And we really like to over-spiritualize this scripture, but it's not just spiritual. It's also natural. Yes, the most important thing Jesus gives us is eternal life, but he also wants to care for you in this earthly life. But he can only care for you if whoever comes to me, you got you to gotta come to him. And just like we struggle with this today, they struggled with it back then. So Jesus pulled out all the stops to help them understand. I told you a little bit ago that Jesus was about to get vulgar. He's about to say something very distasteful. Now it's time. Y'all are ready for it. Here it is. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can not have eternal life within you. Say What? Thankfully, this is symbolic. Otherwise, we'd all be sunk. I mean, not only do none of us want to be cannibals, at least I hope not, but it was over 2,000 years ago that Jesus was here in the flesh. There wouldn't be any flesh left for us, so we would be sunk, right? Right? By eating his flesh, Jesus is referring to our daily relationship with him. Just like you eat every day, you walk with Jesus every day. This isn't a one Sunday thing where you say the salvation prayer and never think about Jesus again. To walk with Jesus, you have to be with him every day. And by drinking his blood, Jesus is referring to salvation. He sacrificed himself so that you could be forgiven and saved from eternal death. And you receive salvation by believing in Jesus. You know, when Jesus said these things about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, many of his followers turned away. They stopped following him. How dare Jesus say something that caused people to leave the church? Why, though? Why did they stop following him? Well, remember when Jesus called him out? Because they were only following him for a free meal. He starts talking about cannibalism. All of a sudden, they don't care about his food anymore. We're out of here. Jesus is not your sugar daddy. If you're following him him only because you want something for free, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. It won't be long before you're offended by something that's in the Word of God and you stop following Him, if that's your motivation. Jesus is your Savior. He's your Lord. He's your teacher. He's your leader. He wants you to believe in Him and receive eternal life. He also wants you to get with Him every day and do what He's called you to do and, and walk with Him every day, every day. Is there anybody in here who is yet to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and you want to do that today? There is. Raise your hand. Yeah, awesome, stand up. Will you, will you come up here with me? No? Yeah, if that's you, go ahead and come on up. Yeah, hey man. You gonna make it all the way up here without spilling that juice, I'm impressed. You wanna just set it up here? All right, this is Parker. Come on over here so they can see you. He's decided today that he's going to make Jesus the Lord of his life. So I'm going to hand you the mic and you can just tell him, all right? You can repeat after me. Say, Jesus. Jesus. I make you my Lord. I make you my Lord. I will follow you. I'll follow you. Thank you. Thank you. For thank you. And forgiving me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, man. Amen. Yeah, let's celebrate with him. Amen. (laughs) You'll find in Acts that the next thing that he wants you to receive after salvation is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because once you receive salvation, that's great. You know, that's for you. You've sealed your eternity with Jesus in heaven. But then he has an assignment for you. He wants you to go out. He wants you to reach other people. And you can't do that very well by yourself. Sure, you could strive and hustle and make no progress, but none of us wants to do that. We need power from heaven. And that's what the Holy Spirit is for. He wants us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that we can have the power that we need to do what he's called us to do. Is there anybody who has not received the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you want to do that today? Go ahead and raise your hand for me. Okay, awesome. I always want to make that invitation. And Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that you rose again. And that we rose with you and that here we are seated above in heavenly places right now we're not waiting for that that's where we are right now we're seated with you in heavenly places and i ask that you give us a deeper a greater realization of that that we don't get caught up in the things of this world but that we realize we're not of this world we're in it but we're with you we're of you we have your power working in us and through us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or think. Lord, we want to move at your pace, walk at your pace, be with you, walk with you, because we know that's the most effective thing that we can do. There's no amount of striving and hustling that compares to walking with you. wants me to point out that this takes faith. Walking with him takes faith and he realizes that. And your first step may seem small and it may seem insignificant but it's just going to be one step of many to this incredible restful place that he has for you no more striving no more hustling but you're still accomplishing like you're still you're still you're doing more than you could even imagine and you're gonna look back and you'll be like wow I didn't I didn't realize I just had to rest to get more done that's the miracle you bring the five loaves the two fish and he multiplies it so that you can feed the five thousand Lord, we trust you for the miracle. We ask you for the miracle. Lord, we submit to you what we can do, and we trust you to multiply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you gave your life to Jesus today and you're in the room or you're watching online, um, there's some next steps that you need to take. There's some things that we would like to walk with you through, but we can't do that if we don't know, so we just ask that you would text us and let us know. Our number is 918-373-9883. You can text anything to that number, and we'll get back to you. And I don't want to let a week go by without inviting you guys to give. As Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if you've ever given, you know that to be true. And giving with the right attitude aligns your finances with the kingdom of God, because God's kingdom is generosity. And if we want to align with what he has going on, then we got to be generous ourselves. And I love what you said in the small groups this morning, Tim, about how we are ambassadors. And so if we we're, say we're in, we go over to another country, we're American ambassadors in China. What happens if the China economy fails to you? Nothing, because you get your money from America. That's what it's like when you align yourself with God's kingdom. It doesn't matter what's going on in America, what's going on with your ambassador here. He's going to take care of you. Everything else can fall apart, but you're always going to be taken care of. But I don't ever want you guys to give because you feel like you have to or because you're trying to earn something from God because both of those are the right attitude. Give because you want to be a part of what God is doing here at No Limits Church. And if you want to give today and you're giving by cash or check, just raise your hands and one of our ushers will bring you an offering envelope. Or you can give online anytime. How you do that is you visit nolimits.fyi on your phone, tablet, computer. There's a giving button there that'll get you where you need to go. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.